If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody, it's episode 328 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, aka The Pod God, Shawnee Podcasts, and all of them beautiful monikers that I didn't come up for myself whatsoever. Um, today's a special edition of the podcast, and I'm joined by Spencer Kite, who we'll hear from uh, in a second, to look at the UFC and the state of the UFC and each division. So we'll be going through each division, division by division, um, and looking at it, looking at the up and coming prospects, the top of the division, how we think title shots or title fights will go, or who we think should be next for titles, and all of that good stuff. So we've absolutely loads of that chat coming up. But before we do that, as always, I must give a, a quick shout out to our, our sponsors, Manscaped. And today's episode, as always, is, is sponsored by our, our friends, Manscaped, the leaders in Below the Way Scrumming. It's back to school time. And we want to make sure you pack the essentials to have the best year yet. Uh, the fourth generation Manscaped performance package is just that. Things are opening up. Be ready for whatever is in your daily schedule. Uh, it's the perfect package for your package and includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 go for the valedictorian of altering to join the two million men worldwide who trust Madscaped by going to madscaped.com and using the code severe mma for 20 percent off and free shipping as uh, you know myself and graham if we had this back in college and that i'm sure spencer as well would be coming on we would be uh, absolutely delighted with it. we probably would have you know pulled a bit more <laughs> as well but uh, i know we have uh, a lot of uh, people you know uh, in college and stuff uh, harry uh, harry cards and a few more listening in so it's absolutely the the perfect time uh, so school college is back at the performance package 4.0 from manscaped is here to teach the boys a lesson on male hygiene inside you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer crop preserver ball deodorant crop reviver toner plus two free gifts the boxer briefs and the shed travel bag. This uh, package includes the brand new lawnmower 4.0. It will give you the confidence to do anything you desire. New year, new you. Might screw around and attend Smooth Balls University this fall. Wait, is that a thing? The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade reduced trimming accidents ta- uh, thanks to the advanced skin safe technology. Uh, it allows you to shave your pencil down and customize your tri- I should probably read these before I read about it there. Uh, uh, customize your trim to additional guard lids with the sizes one to four which is 
and a game changer. The lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7000 RPM motor, a new multi-function on-off switch, uh, which can engage travel lock, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? The package also comes with weed whacker to crop your worst weeds uh, up top in both your nose and uh, ears. The weed whacker is also waterproof and uses 9000 RPM motor powered uh, 30, 360 degrees rotary dual blade system the nose and ear trimmer uh, provides proprietary i fucked it up again proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags and dogs why can't i say the word proprietary proprietary anyway the after trimming your pubes and cleaning the holes show them some love with the manscaped liquid formations crop preserver and ball deodorant which i have uh, i absolutely love they're absolutely brilliant none better than after shower dry off for maybe like half an hour pure dry the put on the crop preserver a couple of hours later ball reviver brilliant absolutely brilliant stuff honestly god night out especially you know this is about going to college but if you are going to college you're going on a night out ideal honestly uh, and manscaped also threw in two free gifts to the performance package 4.0 the uh, manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag one is a uh, comfy front pack for your balls and the other end is a backpack for your goods so get 20 percent off with free shipping with the code severe mma at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at the code severe mma at manscaped.com this year graduate with a degree in clean balls from manscaped Okay, here we go. Uh, Spencer, thank you very much for uh, for joining me. And there's a lot to talk about. I know we did this I think probably about two months ago at this stage. And there has... Look, there's been a lot of changes, I suppose, in the world of, of mixed martial arts in that time. And, you know, we're going to go through it division by division. First thing I wanted to, to, to say to you, and I, I appreciate uh, you for joining me. Uh, you're, you're, always, uh, you're always willing and able and very, very good with your time. So I'm very, very thankful. What do you think of the overblown nature of the UFC at the moment and the amount of fighters the UFC seem to be signing. Like even, I, I was talking, it's someone like an Ian Gary who absolutely deserves to be in the UFC or someone like, say, um, not maybe not a Paddy Pimda, but the Mason Jones and other guys from this side of the world who the UFC are signing with all the Contender Series guys as well. People who in the past, would have taken another two to three years to get to the UFC, would have, definitely without shadow, without gotten to the UFC, in the case of uh, Agari and, and others like that. But now they're in the UFC, and I, I know I have Zen Simon's list up here, which I'm sure we'll go through, but he's probably, it's probably gotten away from him at the moment, the amount of fighters that are in the UFC at the moment. That bloated nature of the UFC, what was your opinion on that? Like, I, I was having kind of a half a debate with someone on Twitter about it the other day. Is it a good thing for the UFC? Is it a bad thing for the UFC? Or is, is, does it make any difference? Is it, is, it, is it a function of the pandemic as well that Dana White just kind of needs guys? I think, it's, I think it's all of those things. I think there is some element of it being the pandemic where we're seeing so many athletes fall out there being so many travel restrictions and and challenges getting visas and things like that that they want to have kind of this this bloated roster of talent and this glut of talent that they can just call on where there really are a ton of fighters kind of sitting around waiting for an opportunity and that part sucks because you would like to see them out there competing but it's not like there's a ton of regional events happening. It's not like there's a ton of 
tier two events like cage warriors, like, and I know cage warriors is back and I know LFA is back and, and some of these promotions are back, but for me out here in, in British Columbia, like Chad and Helliger was on contender series this past week and got a contract. He was fighting out here, two division champion and rise fighting championships. There's nothing happening out here. There's nothing happening in Canada almost period. I think there's one or two promotions. BTC has something coming up pretty soon, but a guy like Chad isn't getting an opportunity because he can't go across the border because of travel restrictions and there's nothing happening. And so bringing them in and having them sort of constantly on standby provides them an opportunity, provides the UFC with athletes. But at the same time, I, I kind of fully understand what you're saying and, and agree with the side of you might want to see Ian Gary build a little more in cage warriors and defend the belt. It, it used to be guys would defend their titles one or two times in some of these promotions and build a little bit more of that regional celebrity and regional stardom and then come over to the UFC. And now it's almost like as soon as you get that belt, that's your ticket and yeah. you come over then and, and the build is done in the UFC. Mm-hmm. I wonder too, if there's a little bit of it, that's a, that's a response to just some of the other promotions that are out there, right? Yeah. We saw Bellator for years, just go out and sign NCAA wrestlers as they were just getting into the sport and kind of suck up a glut of, of rookie talent and young talent and say, we're going to put them in our pipeline. And if we hit on two of these 10 and they become stars for us, then that's great. And we've got them and we've developed that relationship. You look at a guy like AJ McKee, who of course is like the ultimate example of that, but also Logan Storley, Ed Ruth had some success, guys like that, the Fortune Brothers, that the UFC wasn't doing that for a while. They were kind of just a lot of status, a lot of stasis from them and, and signing the biggest names that were out there that they could get. But between Bellator, between PFL, one is still out there. There's there's some different options for people to go. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that to it for the UFC as well, where it's let's just get as many of these people in the door and figure it out. Because if we hit on three out of 10 or two out of 10, then we've got two more potential long-term fixtures in our promotion yeah 100 and i look i think your full points there are 100 percent correct and i was what i've been kind of talking about with the lads the last few days and stuff is a similar sort of thing like that but do you know my biggest issue with that is that someone so so you know i gave two examples there earlier on patty pimden and and um and ian gary and they're actually they're actually the opposite examples really because patty pimden is someone who got to the top had his losses, made his adjustments, got back to close to the top again and then got signed. That's the sort of thing I think people need. Say like someone like a Conor McGregor had that. He, you know, he had his losses early in his career. He had tough fights. Then he got the belt and he got another belt and then he got signed. Like when Kyle Pinder got signed to the, to the UFC, he had loads of fights in, you know, local fighting David Bill Caden and fighting Shea Mills to get to the title. And then he didn't even get signed to the UFC. He got, it was a tough, and then he had to go through all the tough and didn't get to, you know, it's, it was a, a different sort of road then. And my point here is, guys learn a lot in that road you know you learn a lot you you experience stuff outside not not necessarily just outside of the ufc but you experience stuff in mma in a road that you you can't get knocked off of 
You know, even if you lose, you know, if, if you lose three or five fights outside of the UFC and then you go on like a five fight run, well, you're, you can still, you can always get fights outside of the UFC, you know. Whereas if you do that in the UFC, like Ian Gary's fighting Jordan Williams, poor guy, he, he's lost two in a row and now he's probably going to lose three in a row. Let's be honest here. He's probably going to get cut from the UFC. Like that guy, I think he's 13, 14 fights or something. And, you know, the last three of them and now this one are going to be in Denmark Contender Series and the UFC. If you had those four to five fights outside the UFC, learned these craft, and then had four more fights in the UFC, would he be winning them? Or would it be a different sort of thing? I really think that is the issue. And, you know, we won't be getting guys with 14, 15 fights. This is going to be guys with three to seven fights getting to the UFC who have who are talented no doubt about it but do not have that experience yet and i really think people don't talk about that experience enough uh in the ufc or in mma sorry and uh you know it maybe it is a function as well and you made a great point of bellator signing up these people what bellator did very well is bellator signed local guys like that for cards that came up but then big prospects you know like the ncaa champions and uh you know and, and the, the very good wrestlers and aaron pico you know and people like that they signed these uh, is the phrase this blue chip prospects is the phrase yeah. to, 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 to come into the, their their organization and they signed short-term guys you know who would fight locally where the ufc don't really do that but you know that that's one thing i think you know we always kind of started off with a topic to, to go forward and maybe we can look at it again the next time but um yeah i think that's a very interesting one at the moment and see where we go in the next few months but let's get into the divisions and we're going to start at the very top i'm going to start that heavyweight and i suppose since the last time we spoke uh, and a new interim heavyweight champion has been crowned with cyril Gagne, um or silgan as people will probably give out to me uh, about <laughs> so we have gan we have inganu we have Stipe miocic um, we had Derek Lewis as one of those options the last time we spoke, but obviously he's lost now. And then we have John Jones. So we have Inganu, Gany, Miocic, and Jones. Where do, what do you think happens there? Because there seems to be a lot of like, you know, Dana White talking shit about Inganu, acting as if he doesn't want to fight. Inganu kind of said a while back that he wanted to fight John Jones, but that's kind of unquiet now. John Jones is looking like an absolute tank on Instagram yesterday. Uh, Stipe, we don't hear much from him, but he's kind of saying, oh, well, I'll sit out and I'll wait for a title shot or whatever might happen. It feels like everyone apart from Cyril Gagne is waiting and um, you know waiting waiting for a big fight and I don't know if any if any of them are going to get I feel like Dana White's just going to make like Cyril Gagne versus fucking Augusto Sakai for the drum championship here in a minute or something what's your take at the top of that division what what would you maybe not what would you predict to happen next but where do you see it going I mean you joke but that's what it feels like right is that we're yeah. we're just in this position where Miocic John Jones and and Francis Ngannou all kind of want to fight each other in in some combination. Nobody's mentioning Cyril Gan, and then the guys behind that pack have all kind of been there and and fought each other and and beaten each other or whatever the case may be. And so it feels like we're entering this weird. We got to like we got to just get something done. Like we and it and it can't be. Cyril God versus Gusto Sakai or hot shotting Tom Aspinall, who looks terrific, but has said himself, I would like to fight number 11, not number two. And so I think we're, we're at a point where something just has to happen. Like it, it, I mean, I understand where Stipe is coming from in terms of literally everything he says is valid. 
DC got his trilogy fight after I knocked him out. Why don't I get mine after Francis knocks me out? I have the, you know, the, the most title defenses in, in the division's history. Those are all facts, but they're also like facts that you have to investigate a little more where it's like, yeah, but you had three title defenses. We're not talking some kind of Khabib run. Some, and I know Khabib didn't defend the title a ton of times, but he went 29 and 0 yeah. and undefeated in the UFC. People always want to argue about Khabib and, and who he fought, but it's not like we had a Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson kind of streak from Stipe. 100%. And so, and so maybe he just is the guy that has to get back in there and say, you know what? Let me go fight Cyril Gon for the interim title. That's a path to fighting for the the undisputed title again. Mm-hmm. I, and and that's then not that a bad option, puts, though, is it? Right? I think it's a great option. Like, instead of facing this guy that just absolutely demolished you earlier this year, and I love Stipe, but he got trucked in that fight. Why don't you go out and say, look, this is there's now two lanes to this to this undisputed title or to the UFC heavyweight title, and that's the interim road or the just fighting Francis Ngannou road. Why don't you go and take the Cyril Ngannou road? Because if you go out and beat him, yeah. you get that shot. It shows you're right back there. Mm. And like, if you lose, and let's be let's be clear. Possibility of losing to very either much. of those dudes, absolutely, very much real. Then we just know where you are. But like constantly sitting out and continuing to sit out, it doesn't seem like it's getting him anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it seems like most people want to see Nganu Jones first, anyways. So is he really going to burn eighteen months? Yeah, 12, 12, 18 months sitting on the sidelines when he's already in his late thirties waiting on an opportunity that still isn't guaranteed to come because Sirogan exists. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder would the like putting on my dirty promoter hat here for a second. Uh, <laughs> like, I wonder would they put a bit of, pull a bit of a, you know, give it Jose Aldo the title on the same day they made an interim title fight here. Like, could they do Stipe versus Ganya? And then very quickly, while that fight has been made, didn't make Francis Ngannou versus John Jones and have the winner fight the winner. So, like, that's they don't usually do that in fairness, to have the interim champion not fight the official champion. But imagine if they did that and had a unification bout. Like, that to me, that's money. That's money right there. To, like, me, to me, that's how you start next year. Yeah. Or that's how you close this year even, right? December is usually a giant pay-per-view event. I think... I, can't remember offhand if we have kind of December fights lining up yet in terms of the pay per view. I think we do. Um, Look, with I think it looks like with, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's with Charles Oliveira, it's, isn't it? Yeah. Right. I think that's trending that way. So if you do January with with one of those fights and February with the other, mm-hmm. where they're fighting a unification bout, ideally International Fight Week in July back in Las Vegas, yeah. either at T Mobile or if you can stack the card enough, you go to Allegiant Stadium and just blow it out. I mean, yeah. it's it's not often that they do it and, no. and there will be people that moan about why is the interim title being defended. But if that's the path to an even bigger fight and no more questions about who deserves what or where we're going to go, I think it's the way you do it because I, you have an abundance of talent sitting on the sidelines <laughs> yeah waiting to figure out what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the only real stumbling block is money. And I know that rich people don't like spending their money. That's how they got to be rich. But like, this is one of those situations where 
whatever money you put out is going to come back 10, oh, 20, a hundredfold. So maybe you just go ahead and make these two title fights and, and do a little four man tournament. I think to the, determine the, the undisputed champion, it would be great. But before we move on to the, the contenders in this division, the, you know, that's kind of us speculating. And for me, as someone who would rather two good fights than one good title fight, you know, I would love <laughs> yes. to see that. But there's a reason they made Siddle Gagne versus Derek Lewis for the interim title. Okay, one reason was to fill the top of the card, but they also wanted a strong arm. Uh, Francis Ngannou into forcing him to take the Ganya fight rather than the big money John Jones fight. So th- that's the reason why they did it. Now, if they were smart, they could uh, pivot from that and make two great fights. I don't think they will that. that they will do that because I don't think they're actually as smart as maybe they'd make out. So I think it will be Ganya versus Ngannou. And I'm not wrong with that. I think it will be a great fight. But uh, they need to get John Jones back moving. Whether they get that fight done before the end of the year and then make the winner immediately for John Jones, then you seep out. But I think they need to get going pretty quickly. But if you look, like, we, we you, you'd mention a few names there, right? Coming up uh, through the division. And I, I'm looking at here, and thank you very much to Zen Simon again. I'll probably mention him a few more times throughout this. Uh, he's great list, the bloody elbow uh, roster list. Looking at the heavyweights, right? So you mentioned uh, Aspinall, who is uh, 4-0, right? And then we have Sid Gagne, who's 7-0 uh, in the UFC. Um, and then we have a couple of more lads. Chris Dawkins, who we mentioned a lot the last time, and uh, Alexander Romanov, both 3-0, right? So let me give you just the records of some of the other, like, new entrants <laughs> to the UFC heavyweight division, right? So I'm going from, uh, there's about 10 names here. So Espino down to Honeysucker. And these all the new guys that come in, so... Two and one, two and one, two and one, two and one, one, one and one, one and two, one and one, one and one, oh and two, oh and one, oh and one. Now, I mentioned all the other guys who have undefeated <laughs> winning records. So there's like three guys up and coming in that division in the UFC who have winning uh, undefeated records. All they're, Even above that, Spivak, four and three, Sakai, four and two, Bowser, four, um, four and three, uh, Shamil Abdurahima, five and three. This heavyweight, I, I know heavyweight is bad, you know, but it's it's really tough to build someone in this heavyweight division. And how do we do that? With say someone like an Aspinall, you mentioned there, I think we all know that Aspinall is the next kind of, the next Seattle Ganya who they're building to get to that position to be either look the next champion or the next title contender. But how do we protect a guy like that to get into that, <laughs> that, that stage? Is, is it even possible in the heavyweight division? I mean, I don't, I think it's, it's always possible. And I think for a number of years, the UFC did a really good job of, of running two or three people up the ranks at the same times, kind of along parallel tracks to where it eventually became inevitable that they fought thinking to, to keep it in heavyweights of when Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos were both emerging, right? We, we got them to finally meet in a championship fight when all the stakes are on the table and it's a huge fight, this is when it should happen. But that doesn't happen anymore because there is the schedule to worry about and there are, you know, fewer people that people want to see, unfortunately. And so a lot of times these athletes are getting paired off probably a little sooner than they should. And it results in situations where you have you know, Curtis Blades fighting Francis Ngannou for a second time in Beijing because they want a main event and 
this is kind of what makes sense. And now you don't need to see that fight again because it's 0-2. And you have Derek Lewis fighting Curtis Blades when they don't really need to be fighting. And so it's going to be really difficult. And, and those few guys like Chris Dawkins, like Tom Aspinall, like Taitu Ivasa, who's sort of been resurgent here a little bit after getting the, the too much too soon push early in his career, it's about kind of doing the best they can to, to bring that along slowly and, and give Tom Aspinall, you know, Augusto Sakai next or Marcin Tybura next rather than throwing him in there with Alexander Volkov, who is a legitimate top five fighter, but we know the ceiling, like we know the floor and the ceiling of these guys. And 100%. there's, there's yeah. no more, there's no more times. There's fewer times where we get these matchups that we're, we're kind of both guys could go forward and be more. It's often the guy that we don't, the person whose ceiling we don't know against someone who's firmly established where you're like, well, now, now what do we do? Because Derek Brunson beat Darren Till and we've already seen Derek Brunson fight Israel Adesanya and I don't know how much has changed. So we'll get to middleweight. We'll get to middleweight. And I think that's the problem, yeah. right? I think that's the issue at heavyweight and in most of the divisions is that what used to be a, I don't know, five, six fight escalation where you're moving up slowly and you're getting guys these showcase opportunities mm-hmm. is now all right, Tom Aspinall's won four in a row and and granted this was a, a change in opponents and almost a step back in terms of name value from Andre Arlovsky to Sergey Pavlovich to Sergey Spivak, mm-hmm. where I just have a feeling that his next fight is against probably Alexander Volkov or the winner of the yeah. Curtis Blades Garzino Rosenstreak fight that just feels too much too soon. Because if he wins, great, but then he's in the mix with these guys that, you know, he's not yet ready to fight for the title. So why hustle him up there too soon? A big issue as well with the UFC, especially at heavyweight, is they've caught a step. Like, I'd love to see, I think I said on the podcast at the weekend, I'd love to see Tom Aspinall fight a Walt Harris next. You know, or so uh-huh. you mentioned a couple of names. And then after that, who, who should he fight? Like, someone like a Junior Dos Santos after that would be perfect. Or, or an Alistair Overeem, even if you're going maybe a step further. Right. But those guys have got cut. And that's a problem with a lot of the UFC at the moment. They've cut a lot of that middle, uh, or the, the, the kind of the, the top five to ten area of guys who maybe have reached a stage in their career where we know where they are. But have replaced them with, you know, on four guy or four and all guys from the contender series, and that they're not serving that function. But look, we could stay in the heavyweight division forever. One thing with the the light are the uh, yeah the light heavyweight division. I'm just looking here at the the list of scheduled UFC events thanks to my friends over on Wikipedia. And um, one one thing I noticed a lot of these events they don't have the names of the the, the headliners of Wikipedia. But what a very interesting thing. So there's um five events, six events here. Sorry. Uh, on Wikipedia with the names of the main event and three of them are light heavyweight fights so we have Smith versus Span uh, we have uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here maybe I'm getting away but I don't think I have Santos versus Walker and then obviously the title fight for Blahovich versus Teixeira and they're all in the space of just about 40 days or so that's it's a big time for this light heavyweight division isn't it? like <laughs> when John Jones left the division there was kind of you know there, uh, a void left but also a space to fill if that makes sense and we seem to be getting now these fights between guys who okay they're always kind of going to be in the shadow of John Jones a little bit but 
there's exciting fight like I always love Johnny Walker fighting we'll see if Santos can get back to where he is Smith is as tough as hell seems to be a fan favourite you know Span is a good fighter and then the, the title fight's got to be fantastic and you know we have guys like Yuri Prohachka there as well and uh, Alexander Rakic is obviously a very very good fighter as well uh, in that division like is this <laughs> like over the next month and there, you know, Jimmy Crude against uh, against Jamal Hill coming up as well, and, and other fights. There's a lot of light heavyweight fights booked. Is it kind of a little bit of a blessing in disguise? John Jones is gone, and now we're getting like fights that matter. You know, like a fight like um, uh, all the ones I mentioned there, apart from the, the title fight before. The worst, the, the best case scenario was getting beaten by John Jones if you won it, you know. <laughs> but, so, but now you have a realistic chance of getting look a tough fight because Blahovic and and especially, but both Blahovic and Glover Teixeira, two of the most underrated fighters in the UFC, in my opinion. But there's a realistic chance of getting a good winnableish title fight. It's just it's it's added a little layer to it, hasn't it? Well, and and the thing to me that is is great and and sort of contradictory to what we see at heavyweight is that, and, and maybe not a hundred percent one through 15, anybody could beat anybody, but it's, it's super competitive. Right. And they haven't necessarily all fought each other yet. And we're not in that position where we're running out of options. Sure. There are some guys that have, have had some losses and fallen back a piece like Dominic Reyes, Anthony Smith went on a little skid. He got back in the win column. Um, I know Misha Serkinov has, has moved down, but he had a good fight his last time out. And so there's, there's possibilities and they're fresh and they're interesting. And as you said, it's moving towards something that we haven't seen that is intriguing as opposed to, as, as you correctly pointed out, you win the opportunity to get beat up by John Jones, which <laughs> just not a great like, one, is it? <laughs> well, and it's a thing that happens, right? Like I, I remember years ago, I wrote something about, do we really want dominant champions? And the, the conclusion I got to was like, yeah, for about four or five fights. And then we want to see somebody different because people get tired of greatness. It's really weird to me. I'm not that way. You want to show me the greatest fighters doing great things. I'm in. But people kind of get tired of it. And, and there was this fatigue of John Jones defending the title against underappreciated, very good fighters that no one gave a shot to. And that's why the Tiago Santos fight was so compelling, because here's this guy that everybody counted out that's giving him a good fight. It's why the Dominic Reyes fight was so compelling. Same thing. And now it's just a whole bunch of compelling fights. And there's there's young fighters, there's emerging fighters, there's people that are putting things together, like Paul Craig, who gets better every time out. He's had, as, as we talked about off the top, some of those stumbles and been able to navigate them in the UFC to get to a point where he's moving forward. Misha Serkinov, the same thing. Johnny Walker, the same thing. And so it feels fresh again, as opposed to those years where it was, you know, you're you're gonna battle to get to number one, two, or three, and then get mollywopped by John Jones. Yeah. I, remember, I remember we did <laughs> we did a podcast before, right, with uh, Paul Craig. I, I th- was it in I think it was in Cage Wars, um, but he fought Carl Moore, 
who's an, an Irish fighter, yeah. and Paul Craig in his first few fights, if you go back and look at his record, he didn't fight the best people in the world with the best records, you know? And I remember uh, Andrew McGahan, my, my, my co-host at the time, came on and just shot all over Paul Craig and said, like, this guy is a... Fr-. Well, I, 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 it may sound worse. It's probably not as bad as uh, as I make it out. But Paul Craig wasn't happy about it. And then he went in and, and he beat Carl Moore and Andrew was not looking smart now, and he's looking less and less smart all the time because Paul Craig, like... I think, and I still think, I really think Jamal Hill will be a UFC light heavyweight champion. I think he's the best prospect in that division. I think he's fantastic. But Paul Craig finds ways to win. And I love guys like that. Like, I love guys throwing up triangles and, fight, you know, finding ways to win. Uh, he just, he's just brilliant. I love him. And that's the thing about this light heavyweight division. They're... There aren't really, especially after, uh, especially after Jamal Hill lost there, and you know, there aren't that many standout guys who are new to the division now. Uh, Yuri Prachka being the obvious exception, but say right. like a guy like Bukowskis who came in from Cage Wars hasn't had a great time. I think he's one and three now in the division, and with, there is some, you know, there is some other guys. But it, it, if you look at the records here, there's a, a lot of the same in heavyweight. A lot of guys one and two, two and one, you know, three and two, three and three. But there's a lot of fun fighters in the light heavyweight division as well, you know. Uh, f- from uh, Kennedy in Injuku to the likes of Johnny Walker, Arthur Prachka, or you know Span and everything like that, and um, I th- I think it's a more fun division than it's been in a while. And your point as well. I just wanted to make one point on your point about winning. And this podcast is going to go on for eighty four hours, so we better hurry up. But um, <laughs> I I agree totally with you about dominant champions, people getting tired of them. But I think. It's weird because with Demetrius Johnson is the example I always look at, and he you mentioned about uh, John Jones making good fighters not look great, and everyone thinks they're kind of rubbish. Demetrius Johnson did the exact same, beating Henry <laughs> Cejudo, Joseph Benavides, Kyoji Haraguchi, and others. Brilliant fighters, like world level fighters, and just destroyed all of them nearly. Um, but I never got sick of him. You, I just couldn't no. see how people could ever get sick of him. He was just so brilliant to look at all the time, but. I think a guy like a John Jones or a Habib who are more refined in their game plan in terms of uh, no, no, Colin Habib refined is maybe a bit of a weird thing but like he, he you know what he was going to do every time you know you know what John Jones is going to do every time with Demetrius Johnson you just didn't so I, I just want to throw out a bit of Demetrius uh, Johnson love there and I always try to do it but I, I tend to agree like I never really got sick of John Jones uh, either because I I don't know it, it was just there was always something with John Jones you thought he could lose at times and especially when his last two fights and as you mentioned that's why they were a little bit more exciting with Habib Maybe that uh, thinking he could lose wasn't uh, wasn't realistic. But anyway, um, let's get to the middleweight division. And this division, <laughs> you know, a lot of these divisions, it's funny. Um, they have like the four guys at the top, and where's it gonna go? And it's it's a bit weird because I thought Robert Whitaker should have gotten the title shot before. The last one. So who was whoever that was? I can't even fucking remember now what they said. It was Marvin Vittori. Marvin, oh god, yeah, that's what that's probably why. But now I'm like, well, could we wait on Robert Whitaker and give it to, to, to either Brunson or uh, or Kennedy or because like I feel okay, this is, this is the most contradictory thing anyone has ever said. But I feel like we were we were, we should have done it before, but we're now we're rushing into it a little bit. And I don't know why. But uh it, I, I think the reason for it is the fight was kind of 
not maybe maybe not supposed to happen, but like I think it, uh, both of them probably have issues getting out of Australia and New Zealand, and it's going to be delayed and delayed and delayed. And the fact it's kind of getting delayed and people talking about twenty twenty two, I just I I feel like it's going to be hard for them to make that fight in the short term, and I feel like we might be better off either. I don't know, probably not an interim title, but if you can get Adesanya out and get him to fight someone like, you know, either Cannoneer or Brunson and then the winner fights uh, Robert Whitaker, just to keep things moving. Because the UFC recently, they have really kept things moving and we absolutely can't deny that. But uh, I think Paulo Costa is fighting Vittori as well and I'm sure the winner of that will be in the, the conversation as well. But after what, um, after what Derek Brunson did the other day, to, to tell and his improvements he's made you know you said earlier on about him kind of being that that gatekeeper and he absolutely was for years but i feel like he isn't anymore i feel like he's moved on and i'm not saying he beat adesanya but since moving to um to sanford mma i just think the improvements he's made have been huge uh and i think he's a real contender of that division what way like a lot of these divisions at the top are kind of the best what way do you think it will work out and do you think uh, they're just going to wait on, on Whitaker versus adesanya how is it going to go I think they're going to wait, but I'm in the same camp as you of, of if we can get Israel Adesanya out of, out of New Zealand and into the United States or into uh, onto Fight Island for, for a title defense, I would really like to see it. If we can get both of them, great, let's do it. Let's get that on the books and, and make it happen because, again, you, you don't necessarily want to go. And I know that Israel just fought in June. And so it, it hasn't actually been that long since he fought. But when's the next one going to be? And, and are we going to run into that situation similar to that heavyweight where there's three or four people sitting around the top of the, the division that all have reasonable claims to having earned or meriting the next title shot that don't want to move anywhere? And that's where the, the UFC gets in trouble. That's where fans get restless. That's where these fighters start, you know, everybody behind them start screaming and yelling about sitting on your position and defend your position and all of those things. And so the more we can keep everything moving and the more we can keep everything going forward and, and getting these fights together and, and giving guys opportunities and like, look, credit to Derek Brunson, as you said, he's made all the changes. I laughed with him going into, it was before the, this till fight, whatever his fight before that was, I can't remember offhand. Maybe, Kevin Holland, I think. I have the worst name um, of all time on my internet. Yeah, it, it might be Kevin Holland. <laughs> like, opened up the conversation by just saying, like, look, man, I guess you just fight these dudes that that are always on the come up because it was Ian Heinish and it was Edmund Shabazian and, and then it was Kevin Holland. And he started laughing. He said, yeah, and, and I'll keep beating them until they have to give me somebody that they, you know, aren't looking to, aren't looking to move forward. And then they gave him Darren Till. And I was like, well... It's the same thing again, and he just keeps going out and doing it. So I agree with you that he's he's made changes. He deserves an opportunity. It's been long enough that I would like to see it again. But I just, all of these divisions, I just want to see them keep moving. And we've gotten a little bit to a point where everybody's understandably playing the game of, I don't want to give up my spot. I don't want to fight anybody behind me if everybody's constantly always looking to move forward at the expense of, of staying active, then we're going to run into a lot of these bottlenecks. We're going to run yeah. into a lot of these jammed up situations where nothing's happening mm -hmm. and that's not good for anyone. No, 
It really isn't. Oh, at middleweight as well, I, I, I don't want to get into all the prospects of middleweight because I feel like middleweight's just such a terrible division that if anyone <laughs> good was to emerge, they would emerge. I want to ask you just about Sean Strickland before we move on. Like, is, is Sean Strickland ranked number seven at middleweight at the moment because middleweight is terrible? Or is Sean Strickland actually good? I... I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like sometimes, like I watch fighters, and I feel like I have pretty good, you know, uh, I, I can call whether they're good fighters, improving fighters, you know, whether maybe I'm wrong about like whether they'll get to a top five or they get to a title or whatever like that. But I, you know, I can tell the difference between a good fighter and one who's not the best fighter in the world. I can't with Sean Strickland. It's just every time I see him, and I before he, he fought Uriah Hall the last time, and I watched three or four of his fights, and I'm like, oh, he looks, he's unorthodox, he's weird. But he's effective. And his last performance again, I thought Uriah Hall would beat him. And then he was just so effective against Uriah Hall. It's, what's your take on Sean Strickland? Like, I just, I don't have a take on him, really. I, I just can't, I can't predict him at all. So for the longest time, he has been somebody, and, and I've been being a pain in the ass to broadcasters, fellow journalists, whoever will listen, when I shout about the fact that he is undefeated at middleweight in his career. His three losses came when he was cutting down to 170 that he never should have been doing because he doesn't have a lot of room to, to lose weight from. But I think he's incredibly effective. I think he's like, he is the ultimate zero flash, but super effective fighter where it is meat and potatoes, but it works. And it, and he's, he's got the right amount of obnoxiousness and, and, you know, maybe right on the border of crazy personality where you're interested and he just keeps going out there. And I mean, you think back to that fight at the middle of November against, against Brendan Allen, right? He's, he's back off two years where they were maybe never, where he was maybe never going to fight after a horrible motorcycle accident. He beats Jack Marshman, who is tough as nails. And he's talking at him the whole time, telling him to fall down, telling him to just stop coming forward and then he goes out and just runs through Brendan Allen, who I think is a great fighter. I think he's another guy in this division that has upside and just yeah. didn't show up that night and got crushed. And then he goes out and he beats Chris Jotko, which is a good performance, but not great. But then he beats Uriah Hall. And, and very early in that fight, you knew that it was going to go the way that it ended up going. I think after the first round, everybody agreed. Well, this is just going to be four more rounds of this. Yeah. And he feels like a guy that's a little bit not unstoppable in the sense that no one will ever beat him, but he's just a marauder. And I cannot wait to see the fight with Luke Rockhold. And that's a great fight for him too, I think. I think it's because a really it's, good fight. It's a terrific fight because we all still have this idea of Luke Rockhold being this supreme athlete yeah. and the former champion and all of these things. But Luke hasn't looked good in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And so if he goes out and gets a big name like that and a former champion under his belt, he becomes kind of, to me, the most interesting contender in this division. And uh, do you know what's interesting as well? Funny, Ariel made a point the other day on the MMA hour about uh, Derry Brunson, you know, being one of the last men. There's a lot of the ladies still there, but from Strike Force. And I was thinking to myself, well, what about Luke Rockhold? But that's you know kind of a function of how long yeah. it's been you know and that's yeah. how long that the lads like that have been around but uh yeah it's uh it's interesting I'm really looking forward to that Light, so welterweight and light, lightweight i think at the top of those divisions 
I feel like there's three guys in both of them, and I f- and maybe maybe people will be thinking, oh, "Who's he going to say here?" But I feel like, look, I, I, Covington might not always have been one of those guys, but he's fighting for a title, so he is. And I think Leon Edwards is the other guy. Look, I think Gilbert Burns, he's done well to come back, but it's not too long ago that he got beaten down badly by uh, by Usman. I think Luke has on the come up, but another bit to go. Obviously, Wonder Boy just lost, Masvidal lost, Gaza just lost, and then you can go down from that. And in the lightweight division. Obviously, Charles Oliveira versus uh, Dustin Poirier is the uh, the obvious fight and looks like it's going to happen towards the end of the year. And I think the other guy for me, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but Benil Dariush, he's won so many fights, he looks very good. And he's, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I have to look at Zane's list here, but I don't think he's matched up against anyone yet. And we have the matchup that looks like it's going to happen between Gaethje and Chandler. And then, you know, down from that, Makachev, probably one or two fights away from it. And then Ferguson, RDA Hooker, you know, so we're going down to towards that side of the division then. It's a weird question to ask, but is it pretty straightforward for those two divisions over the next while? <laughs> like, maybe, I don't think they're just going to hand Dariush a title shot, so I think he will have to get another fight and another win probably before he fights the winner of Oliveira versus Pari, and, you know, he could lose, so it might never happen. But, Ed, like, with him, with Edwards... Are they just not famous enough? Are they just are they just like the people just not know them enough to be the obvious next one for the title shot? What, 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 like while you're taking that sort of division where the meritocracy sometimes isn't enough, even though it's like way standing out over everyone else who's there. Yeah, they're not famous enough. They're not loud enough, um, and there are infinitely larger personalities in both of those divisions that just command the attention of people, right? And and suck up all the oxygen in the room and and play the game the way that, you know, guys like Colby Covington have for years. And, and Gilbert Burns has started playing the game this way. And, you know, you, you get guys like Leon Edwards and Vicente Luque who are wonderful gentlemen and aren't going to go out there and toot their own horn and and scream and yell on social media and demand things, but have put in the work and deserve these opportunities. But I mean, the thing that everybody remembers about Leon Edwards is that he got hit by Nate Diaz. And that's really unfortunate because he hasn't lost a fight in five years. And if that guy doesn't just on merit. And I know that merit and earn and all of those things and deserve aren't words that we should use. But if a guy can go undefeated in 10 fights in that division and not lose for five years and the last loss be to the current champion who has already said that guy has done great since our last meeting and and deserves this opportunity. If that guy can't get a fight because he's not popular enough or he's not loud enough, then we're just like, he may never get one. He may constantly have to just fight somebody else that wisely and rightfully calls him out and, and just shouts about it enough times. Like Gilbert Burns is trying to do to get that opportunity. It's yeah. And and it applies to Dariush too, right? Like Benny is, Benny is the quietest, most gentle, wonderful dude you could ever talk to in an interview. And he is an absolute savage in the cage, but when he's done, he's not going to say, give me my title. I mean, he did and it, and it was great. And it sort of somehow went away really quickly because Dustin Poirier is there because Justin Gaethje is there because Michael Chandler is there because there is the, you know, boosters of Islam Makachev 
group out there yeah. led by Daniel Cormier <laughs> running I mean, around fighting, shouting that he's fighting Dos Anjos as well coming up so that's a if McCatchev wins that he's right there thereabouts as well it, so you know exactly and and the other part for him is that it it stinks that he he won't fight Rafael Dos Anjos they are very close similar to the Luke Gilbert Burns thing right that would be a fight to make like that would yeah. be a fight to make but it's never going to happen because they are best friends and training partners and so that limits things and puts people like Leon and, and, and Benny in a position where they're going to have to fight one of these guys that is a little behind them and, and probably not, you know, they're, they're probably going to have to keep waiting. And mm-hmm. if you keep waiting and have, have to keep fighting, that's when something happens that you lose your spot and it, it really sucks. So I hope both of them get their opportunity soon. Mm-hmm. Right. I have two more questions about these two divisions, right? Okay. A, a, a quick one. Which draws more, right? If they're just these two fights and topping the card, and I know uh, maybe one of them is, but Usman versus Covington, right? Or Poirier versus Oliveira. And the reason I asked that, Poirier obviously had the shine from McGregor, and then Usman had the two very good drawing fights against Masvidal. Which, which you think, which one of those two fights will draw more? I think it's Usman Covington, but I think it's because of the B side. Like I think it's because of, I think it's because of the the second names. Right, like I think it's because Covington is a bigger name than Charles Oliveira, yeah, well, okay, which is yeah. which okay. is te- that makes which sense. is terrible, right? Yeah, it should not be that way. Mistake me not, Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira is a better fight. I am far more interested mm-hmm. because we haven't seen it. I want to see it. I am dying to see it. But I think Colby Covington is a, a bigger name than the current lightweight champion. That's a great which answer. Pains yeah. Uh, and do... I think there are more people that will be interested in seeing that fight than are interested in seeing the the unquestioned top two lightweights in the world battle it out for uh, UFC. Happy uh, might have a question. But I don't well, mean, I mean, he's, uh, reti- active, look, active, he's yeah, retired. Look, he's you, I retired. He's retired. Do you know what? I, I agree with what you said. It's been almost a year, Sean. It, it has. It feels longer. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Col- Colby is actually as big a draw as people make out, but I do think he's a bigger draw than Oliveira, or a bigger name right. anyway than Oliveira, which is, I wouldn't have thought of that point, but that is a good point. But I'm very <laughs> interested to see, you know, because okay, I think we could we, we will agree if you're to name the the the, f- two, the top if you're to name the top four draws between the four of them, I think we'd all probably say Oliveira four, probably Covington three, but Paria versus Paria and Usman, who's the bigger draw between them? I think that's an interesting one because you know I I feel like Usman has kind of has maybe turned the corner over the last while, but Paria like some people fight. The, the biggest draw in the sport whether it's you know boxing or MMA or whatever it might be and they, they take some of that and they gain fans I'm not sure if Poirier did I feel like Poirier did after the first McGregor fight but after the second fight the way with the leg break and you know he talking shit to McGregor and stuff I mean like a lot of people gave out to me when I mentioned that afterwards but I, I do feel like people didn't like that as much and have kind of I don't know not turned off of Poirier but like it's one of the hardest things in sport to deal with is in, in MMA to deal with. Sorry, is dealing with a win uh, that that you don't really deserve. Now, would Poirier have beaten McGregor? 
I think so. Yeah, you know, I know what you mean. But like, say, like uh, Aljamain Sterling, he didn't a, deserve a that win. win. A win under those terms. Very hard. Very like Weidman. When Weidman Anderson was a little bit different because he checked the kick. But you know, if someone goes in there and they accidentally fall over. Remember that time Jake Ellenberger got caught in the cage? Like, you don't really yes. deserve that win. Like, you know, it's what it, and to deal with that. And it's, you know, but I feel like that kind of put off Parry a little bit. But you know, it's uh, who, who do you think will be the between Osman and Parry? Who do you think will be the bigger draw going forward? I think it's, I think within the MMA bubble, it's super close, but I think outside of our little community, it's Dustin Poirier and it's, it's simply because of the Conor McGregor rub. Yeah. So many more people paid attention to those fights <laughs> and, and saw him in those moments and know his name, which is a shame because as you said, Kamaru Usman has looked absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The fight with Gilbert Burns to me was a turning point moment and then to go out there and, and beat Jorge Masvidal all the way he did in the rematch that, you know, it, it took a fight that nobody was really that excited about and interested in seeing and made it into a moment that catapulted him to another level. And so I think to the, to the masses, it's Dustin Poirier, but to us within the bubble, it's probably pretty close and, and it should be. Just before we get into the featherweight division as well, I have to tell you about this brand new partnership we're after making with BetUS. It's uh, for all our friends over, I, I announced it and I talked about it a little bit on uh, Twitter the other day. So all our friends in the US and Canada, I know we've had some things that are only Ireland and the UK, but this uh, is specifically for our friends in the US and Canada. So sports betting is back in full force with the, with obviously, you know, NBA, uh, NHL, the playoffs are, are, are on, they're always on <laughs> Over and over in the over the US it seems, and a lot of MMA as well. And I know uh, NFL is coming back this week, so you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like Bet US. Uh, you may already know this, but Bet US has uh, been uh, pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, uh, thriving and paying their loyal customer uh, base. Uh, that is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call uh, 8069 Bet US. That is 800MyBetUS and receive 120% sign-up bonus by using the code SEVERMMA. Uh, they have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favourite sportsbook for a lot of reasons. And if you go to SEVERMMA.com forward slash BetUS, B-E-T-U-S, uh, it'll take you right there so you can get the 120% off. BetUS has all your NBA and NHL games, um, team and player props and loads of NFL futures and NFL odds already up you can bet ufc matches and props um we'll be talking about it more in our uh, betting show as well coming up which uh, thanks to bet us will be free for the next uh three betting shows that's absolutely fantastic they have the pga golfs and the golf i know a few people might be back in uh, rory mcelroy to, to finally get over the line here coming up soon uh, they also have online casinos with hundreds of games race book for all your horse racing uh, and every type of bet imaginable and the sharp BetUS uh, mobile platform is easy with full of betting options. Follow my lead and get to your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and loyalty like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. So go to severemail.com forward slash BetUS, B-E-T-U-S. It'll take you right to that page. Use the promo code severemail and you will get 120% sign-up bonus using that code severemail. Right, let's talk a, a little bit about the, the featherweight division. Obviously, uh, you know, we'd be able to, to use our code uh, Severe May at, at BetUS there for the uh, the Volkanovsky versus Ortega fight uh, coming up. 
uh, in only a couple of weeks here. Spencer, I want to ask you, right, because you're over in, in the uh, the North America area, and I feel like Max Holloway has become such a fan favourite that this division can't get get away from him. And when I mean when I mean get away from him, I don't want the division to get away from him. I think I don't care that Max Holloway has lost twice to Volkanovski, still one of the best in the world and still should be there. But I think this fight is a genuine title fight. This is a very, very good title fight. We have one guy who's beat him twice, one guy who's lost Holloway once. Fair enough. But like, I feel like it's just being overshadowed a little bit, or or maybe overshadowed isn't the word, but like it's it it feels like people aren't seeing this as a real title fight because Max Holloway's in it, and that to me is it. Look, it's understandable, but it's also bizarre. Have you kind of noticed the same thing? Oh, a hundred percent. And and I'll take it a step further. It's terribly disrespectful to Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah. Who and and I mean, look, whether you think those fights were scored correctly, incorrectly, whether you are the biggest Max Holloway fanboy in the world, you have to give this guy this Alexander Volkanovsky his due. He's won 19 consecutive fights. He is undefeated in the UFC. And even if you want to say they're close. They were at least super close fights against a guy that we all had all said or, or had put in that he's either number one or number two in the division all time. And to now just be kind of off him and, and still looking at it, like I think a lot of people are making kind of the equivalency of Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier, where Dustin feels to a lot of people like the uncrowned champion and like he should be number one in the division because his, his only loss recently is to Khabib and he just hasn't had that opportunity. And I think they're doing the same here with Max and, and Volko, and it's just not the same. Alexander Volkanovsky's beaten him twice. They were close, but he beat them twice. And, and as much as some people disagree, and in the second fight, one of the judges disagreed. That's, that's what it was. That's what happened. And I mean, I talked to Volko a couple of weeks ago now, for this fight that's coming up and like he's there's a there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder not from listening to all the people and not from all of the pushback of oh well you never beat max and whatever whatever because he accepts that that's always going to be there but there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder of i want to go out here and have one of these fights that is definitive again where there isn't anything that anybody can talk about and say, oh, well, maybe he didn't. He wants to go out and blast through Brian Ortega that no one other than Max Holloway has done and have that kind of performance that sets him apart. And it's crazy. Like, I get it. Max is lovable. He is super entertaining. The fight with Calvin Cater showed that he is still very much at the top of his game and, and in that championship realm. But it's to me, it's terribly disrespectful to a guy that has done nothing but handle his business in the octagon thus yeah, far. It's I, I agree. Like he's, I think Volkanovski's one of these fights, and I was talking about it on a podcast recently. He's a guy, like when you see Peter Yan coming through, right? Or I don't know, like any Adesanya or Oliveira or Poria, you can kind of easily see how they're good, you know? It's sometimes, it, you know, some guys coming through and maybe four or five, you know, it's very tough to know how good they are. But when a guy gets to 15, 20 fights, wins the championship, you know how good they are, right? You can see it. Volkanovski is one of those guys, I, I think it's hard to see. Like, and it's, it's not that it's he's not good, it's just he's so kind of technical and, um, 
I, I don't know. I wouldn't say his style is odd, but it's so kind of it it it's not spectacular, but it's so effective that it's like, how is this guy doing this kind of uh, kind of a way? And I think that's a bit of the reason as well why he doesn't get it. But I, I suppose you know you you made some great points in that, so I won't harken on about the the top of the division uh, and the title fight because that's a great title fight, and I think it'll be brilliant, and we'll talk about it more obviously in the next coming weeks. But I feel like this division, you know, Chika Chikadze has had a great win uh, in the uh, in the last couple of weeks there, but. <sighs> We, we mentioned it, we had a long discussion about the last time we did it, and I've probably had this discussion with everyone who's done this show with me over the last couple of years. The featherweight division is just stalled. It's just it's just been yeah. like, in, since Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor and Frankie Edgar left it, and <laughs> everyone said at the time, they're, especially with McGregor, he's kind of holding back the division. It's just not, it's not moved anywhere. You know, it's really yeah. not. It, at the top, okay, we've had some brilliant title fights. You mentioned a couple of them. They're close decisions. And people kind of forget that there were great title fights and great fights despite the close decisions. But this division, uh, like I'm looking at Zane's list here. Max Holloway is fighting Yair Rodriguez. Is that actually happening? I, I, yeah, ma- maybe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I, I, hopefully. That's a fantastic fight. But I'm looking at some of the other ones. I, I mean, we obviously have the big title fight as well. And Burgos versus Quarantillo. I, I really like that fight. But there really isn't much, you know, uh, Megamid Sharapov's kind of out injured. I'm looking through, like, Bryce Mitchell doesn't have a fight lined up. Ivolev doesn't have a fight lined up. Yusuf doesn't have a fight lined up. There just seems to be a lot of that talent in that division. Ireland Allen doesn't have a fight. Calvin Cater doesn't have a fight. Josh Emmett doesn't have a fight. Uh, yeah. Oh, where's it a, going? A, <laughs> a, lot of guy, a lot of guys that are hurt or coming back from injuries, like, I understand Calvin Cater taking his time after that fight with oh, Max absolutely. Holloway. Yeah, that, yeah, 100%. But like, it still makes like, fight. Like, like those make sense. Yeah. With Arnold Allen not getting a fight. Like Arnold, Arnold Allen fighting once a year. Well, actually, be, I think he's at a hand injury. Eight, but, yeah. but like he's 8-0 in the, in the UFC. Like why are we still stalled out? And has he not? Why has he not fought a top five guy yet? And and to contrast that with Giga Chikadze, who has fought, I think, seven times now in two years. And it just... I'm with you. There's there's so much talent here, but that top end again, it's it's sort of like some of these other divisions, like we've talked about throughout, right? Some of these top end guys are hunkered down and there's bunkered down in their spots. Yair Rodriguez is super selective about who he wants to fight. Zabit for the longest time was not even ranked, not even listed anymore. We didn't know what he was going to do, and he was kind of picking and choosing his spots. And guys were hurt and Chan Sung Jung was out and Ortega was out and that fight got delayed. And it just, we're stuck in that. It, it just feels like we're running in quicksand in this division, which is so unfortunate because there is so much young talent and so many people deserving of opportunities. We haven't even mentioned Ilya Tapuria yet, who might what be the fighter. best of the, of, of mm-hmm. these young fighters coming up in the division. Right. But we just stuck. And it seems like, in any of these divisions, when when the top end guys, when the champion and kind of that top contender tier get slowed down, for whatever reason, it seems to press pause on everything else. Like the UFC doesn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. want to move anything else forward because we don't know where we're going to go. It's like we've no faith in the other ones then. You know, it's like hard to right? can't say It's just because like no one else goes anywhere. It's weird. Yeah. It's like, like just, uh. just get some of these fights. And, and look, injuries happen and, and that takes into account yeah. and and i understand arnold allen not wanting to fight you know somebody too far behind him in the rankings like a bryce mitchell or a shane burgos those are super dangerous fights 
There's very limited upside for him. And so that makes sense. But at the same time, if the five guys in front of him hold to that same, same idea, yeah, no one's we're, just, anyone. <laughs> we're just not having any fights. And that's what's happened here. We're just, <laughs> we're just not having fights. Do you know what's funny? I got, I got to switch things up a little bit because I want to talk about the women's division next because I was uh, I was scrolling down and the women's featherweight division has nearly more fights than the men's featherweight division. <laughs> Daniel Wolf is out injured, but everyone else in the division has a fight. Holly Holm is fighting Norma DeMont. Uh, Felicia Spencer is fighting Leah Letson. Okay, that's all. That's all of them. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. four women there with four fights. But uh, I, I like that you said everyone else in the division, and I was like, there's five people in the division. And then the this maybe has a fight as well, but at a different weight. Um, but like, okay, featherweight and bantamweight, we can kind of join the the two women's divisions together here when, when we're talking about them. Um, I feel like it, obviously when the a title fight was supposed to happen between Pena and uh, and Nunes and that got uh, that got cancelled, so that was obviously very unfortunate, um, and it did kind of move the division around a bit and hold it up a little bit. But the, the you know we talk about the men's featherweight division there and the 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 lack of kind of fights booked, but there's lots of fights booked here now. I think Jermaine Duranemi was injured last night or something, so that fight with Aldana was out. But I think that's a you know maybe they can get it back on. It's a very good fight. You know it looks like Nunes at the end of the year is going to fight Pena. You know Raquel Pennington is booked versus uh, Penny Kinya uh, Kinzad. Um, Misha Tate is fighting Vieira, and I'm like they would love to throw Misha Tate into a title fight if they could. Uh, Aspen Ladd is fighting uh, Macy Chaisan coming up here in the next couple of weeks as well, and you know there's lots of uh, lots of people uh, booked booked in fights. Carla Rosa, who's three and zero in the division one, the up and comer, she's fighting Bech Cohea, so that's you know a good name opponent for her, I suppose, uh, coming through. And Julia Viez around there as well. There's some you know there's some names coming through in this division, and it feels like because you know. When you have a dominant champion like Amanda Nunes, and you uh, you have only one division for her, it's kind of like it could be what happened earlier on. We were talking about with Demetrius Shach, John Jones, and all. But I feel like the fact, even though she's fighting the same people, the fact that she can go from featherweight to bantamweight and kind of back and forth, it is keeping it a little bit fresh, isn't it? And it's sometimes you wouldn't know which belt she's fighting for. But I like I've I'm on the record of saying, okay, this division is the featherweight division is a kind of a farce. Let's be honest. But you might as well right. keep it around just to keep Amanda Nunes as a double champion for like three years or until Kel Harrison maybe is ready to come over. But uh, it's it looks like this division has a move for a while, but it's it's on the verge of moving, isn't it? I think so. And I, I agree with you that you, you keep it around as long as you can. And, and it's, there are becoming more people that, that kind of fit it as we've seen with Norma Dumont and only Letson is coming back. Kayla Harrison is, has said like, I, I might, I might have to go and do something else. And that's a fight that I think you, me and everybody, and I know they train oh, it God, I'd love American it. top team together, yeah. but I think we could probably figure that one out. I think we could probably find a way to make that one happen. And then with, with Bantamweight, it's it's why I really liked the Juliana Pena fight when when it first got booked and when and when Julie was out shouting about wanting that fight. It just keeps things moving. Like there's no value to just having Amanda Nunes sitting on the sidelines waiting to fight Jermaine Durandamy or Holly Holm again. Like I understand that the Juliana Pena is the number four, number five contender in the division. Great. She hasn't fought Amanda Nunes yet. Let's get her in there. That's what used to happen. Like back in the day in the UFC, if you were number four and you haven't fought the champion and he's beaten, he or she has beaten one, two or three, you're next up. You got a couple wins. 
you're next up because we just were putting these fights together and I'm happy to see it. I like that so many of these matchups are, are currently set, as you said, with, with Aldana and Durandami and, and whether that stays together or not. Misha Tate coming back is a super intriguing wrinkle. Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson is a, is a great fight to see where both of them are at. I love that Panny Kianzad's getting a step up. There's just opportunity again. And, and unlike some of these other divisions we've talked about, the people that need to be fighting are all fighting. Nobody's sitting on the, You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody's sitting on their, their ranking and saying, no, like Raquel Pennington isn't saying, I don't want to fight Panny Kianzad because I, I should be fighting somebody further up in the division than that. They're just like yeah. Aspen Ladd has every reason to not want to fight Macy Chasson because it is a dangerous fight in her first fight back from a long layoff with knee problems. But she's taken that fight because she knows I need to keep fighting and I need to keep winning if I want to get that championship opportunity. And so this is what needs to happen in some of these other divisions. And I don't know if it's a, a man versus yeah, woman thing. It feels like I don't, we're on the lady side. I, of I don't know like. if it's a, you know, their, their management, Maybe. they're managed by different people that are giving them different advice. I don't know what it is, but you know, maybe, you know? maybe it is the fact that, Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko are such strong champions. I know maybe we, we get to throw out the division a little bit different, but you know, maybe the fact that like they, they fight so often as well and they're kind of running out of challenges. Maybe even yeah. if you do lose a fight, you know, only two more and you'll be right back into it. Maybe, you know, taking that extra year to prove might work as well. Maybe, maybe that's a function of it. But looking at the flyweight division, and I always like every time we do this, it's always a question where's the flyweight division now? But the, first, before we maybe answer that question, there's so many fights booked here as well. Like, Sydney Calvillo versus Andraz, Jessica I versus uh, Lee, uh, Joanne Calderwood versus Grasso, Courtney Casey versus uh, Liana Jujo, uh, obviously Shevchenko versus Murphy is coming up for the belt, Gillian Robertson, uh, Cachoeira, Roxanne Matafari is fighting Tiala Santos, Macy Barber against Montano De La Rosa, um, and, uh, you know, loads more. There's they're, they're some, like, this division, not the biggest division in the world, but then Mandy Bomb versus Lipsky, Casey O'Neill versus Antonina Shevchenko. What a fight that is, actually. That's a fucking great fight. There's Terrific uh, fight. loads of fights here. And it's great because this division, you know, I think there is a bit of life in it. And I've been, maybe not a detractor from the division, but, like, a realist, I think, with the divisions, thinking... It's just not there yet. And I don't think it's there yet yet either. But if you look at that division now, and even in the midsection of it there, Calvillo was someone, I know she's fought at different uh, weights in the UFC, but she has nine fights now in the UFC. JJ Aldrich, nine fights. Sajara Eubanks, uh, nine fights in the UFC. Alexa Grasso. And okay, some of them, as I mentioned, come from different weights. But even someone like Amani McCann, who's now four and three in the division, this division is not just filling out kind of with, contenders it's filling out with someone around the middle who if they win three or four fights maybe even two or three fights they're going to you know make themselves someone who we think could be that next contender like you know lauren murphy has done now seven and four in in the oc like some of the other people there who i mentioned who are maybe four and three if they get to say seven and three or something like that they could be in that position as well so it's i do think it is one a, a developing division still but I want it as a damn sight better than it was maybe, you know, 18 months or, or two years ago. What's, what's your thoughts on the women's uh, flyweight division at the moment? It's come along so well. And, and this is sort of when they were introducing it through the Ultimate Fighter and, and just introducing it as a whole. This is kind of what you knew it, it could get to because this felt like a, 
natural weight class for a lot of these women that were fighting up at at 35 or fighting down at 115. And you look at those two divisions, they've thinned out a little as featherweight has continued to flourish. And you're you're completely right. Like they, this division to me is the most complete of the women's divisions right now in terms of having that middle class sounds bad, but middle class of fighters that, as you said, the Molly, the Molly McCanns that we just saw against Jiyoung Kim, um, the Jennifer Mayas, the Roxy Modafaris, the, the different people that are just, there's, there's that blend of fighter who are established veterans. There are some just kind of grinding it out 500 fighters, but every fight is a tough fight and, and you win a couple and you, there's opportunity for people to grow like JJ Aldrich, who had a great performance last time out and, and is now six and three in the UFC and finally on a little bit of a winning streak that we're getting to that point that you need a division to be at because for the first couple of years, it was Valentina Shevchenko and a whole bunch of other people that she's better than. And she's still better than everybody, but we're starting to get some of these prospects that are coming up. We're getting Casey O'Neill, who is super exciting. We're getting Miranda Maverick and Macy Barber, who for whatever Macy Barber's faults are, is still an intriguing, very young fighter on the come up. And, and so I think it's in a position where we're getting to a point that, that every division needs to get to, where you have some depth, you have some prospects, you have the veterans that are in place as those litmus tests, and everything is coming together nicely. And again, as we said with the last women's division, all of these athletes are competing. There's not a ton of people that are just sitting out for whatever reason or not wanting to fight or not wanting to, to put their place in the division on the line. Like yeah. there's no reason for Jessica Andrade to be like, yeah, cool. I'll fight Cynthia Calvillo, but she's doing it. And that, that helps all of these divisions, right? It helps keep things moving forward. It gives us that opportunity to have some, some, some changeover, right? And maybe Andrade and Caitlin Chikagian kind of established themselves as, Holly Holman and Jermaine Durandamy yeah. have at Bantamweight, where they're just that that cut above the next pack of contenders. Do you know what but we're really... seeing with the Lauren Murphy fight mm-hmm. that the UFC isn't afraid to just say, okay, well, yeah. those two are better than, than the others, but they've had their opportunity, so let's grab Lauren Murphy. Let's grab Joanne Calderwood. Let's grab whoever's kind of next in line. Mm-hmm. And that's good to see, and I think we need more of that across the board do you know what i'm looking at 125 and 115 here the two divisions and 125 reminds me a little bit of middleweight at the moment where if you are say a brunson or um uh, what's his name the guy who's fighting uh strickland if you were show improvements right or if you're a really good prospect coming through um let's say like a vittori or a, or a costa there are litmus test there as you mentioned with this division but you will be able to get to that top where you'll be able to get a title shot because there's a first of all there's a dominant champion and there, there's a bit of a gap between the top and maybe three to four um, but there's also like fights that are not that difficult to get there at times and I think that's the joy of this 125 pound division where um, it's, it's improving but it's still like there's winnable fights there I think if you look at 115 and you look at someone say like an Amanda Hebas, who I think is very good, or Nina Nunes, Niantaroff, you know, who I think showed lots of improvements, like a Derek Brunson, you know, who was around that division, but I think improved an awful lot. And obviously, she went and had the baby and stuff now, so maybe it's a, this is a, an argument for two years ago or something like that. But people like that, 
I think in the other divisions would have risen quicker or would have gotten maybe to a title shot. But in uh, like 115 down division, you get someone like, say, like a Carla Esparza or a Yuani Njecek or a, a McKinsey Dern or a Yan Zhaonan or, you know, Nina Nunes herself or a Gedelia or a Torres or a Watterson. All tough, tough fighters. Some of them, you know, tougher than, some of them better than others. But even like an Angela Hill at 14. Angela Hill, not the best fighter in the world. A very, very improved fighter. And you have to be a very good fighter to beat her. You know, and I think, I think that 115-pound division at the moment is... If you look through all of those records of the people I listed there, you know, there probably there probably aren't that many like nine and twos there, but there's a lot of them with a lot of tough fights and a lot a lot of tough wins. And uh that that makes for good fighters and it that that division is just so good. And it's look, I think it's a little bit of a shame that they're making Rosanami Yunus versus Zhang Weili because I I I've great time for Carol Esparza and I love fighters who hit the bottom you know and and the, the bottom is probably unfair but you know what i mean she lost and everyone thought uh she was only you know everyone thought she was um what's her name the uh the, the 120 pound 25 pound champion who, <laughs> what, Nico, Montano. Nico Montano yeah Nico Montano. She, she's not her she is absolutely not her and no. she's fought her way back yeah. and i have so much respect for people like that who can claw their way back right to the top again uh and i think she deserves it and it's unfortunate she's not getting it but what do you think of that title shot first of all I'd look saying I, I think it's a, be a great fight I think it'd be a better fight than the first fight obviously I don't think Lynn that quickly again but good title fight I would rather the other one but this division it's just phenomenal it's really like the the amount of talent in this division it's just brilliant it really is it's a fantastic division it is and and it's in that position that we need these these divisions to be in right and and this is again it takes time this division's been around for a, a little longer than than flyweight has obviously with with season going back to season 20 of the ultimate fighter and introducing it but it it took time for it to grow and this is where it gets to it gets to a point where you have fighters like angela hill as you said who come off that season 20 lose her first two fights and has to go and learn elsewhere she feels like a perfect encapsulation of everything we've been talking about throughout this episode of somebody that had to go and learn elsewhere and go down to invicta and figure out her style a little bit more and learn a little bit more and and get better has come back and has turned herself into as you said a ranked fighter a very dangerous fighter a game fighter but still not somebody that's necessarily championship level which is okay every division needs those people and we're seeing at, at 115 more of more of those people. And, and it almost feels like the division is settling a little better, where we're we're getting those striated tiers of fighters and we understand where somebody's ceiling is, but there's still a whole bunch of people that are on the come up that we don't know necessarily where their ceiling fits. Um, Amanda Lemos has looked insanely good. Yeah, Marina Rodriguez. Has looked amazing. Mm -hmm. Mackenzie Dern has looked great. Amanda Hebos for losing to Marina Rodriguez earlier this year. Still a tremendous young talent. I think um, future champion. I think still. I, I I think a lot of her. I, I think she's very really good. I believe. I believe so as well. I mean, Loma Lukbuni, Jinyu Fry's starting to put it together. I know she's a little older, but she's starting to put it together. I mean, Kay Hansen is still. I think she just turned twenty-two. Yeah. Um, Corey McKenna just turned 21, I think. Jesus. Like we're we're getting to these young talents, and then there are those veteran presences 
in the middle of that division that these people can test themselves against. And then there's still a Carlos Barza, as you said, and there's still a Yoanigan Jacek who oddly feels like she's kind of forgotten a little bit because she hasn't fought in a little bit and because we're kind of waiting to see what happens. But this division, I mean, these two divisions, 115 and 125 on the women's side of things, are two of the most exciting to me and two of the most interesting to me every time there's fight book, fights booked. And as we've said for these last few women's weight classes, there are actually fights booked and people are competing and people are moving forward and they're largely the right fights. And I think that's a big part of it is that for the last few years in this, in both of those divisions and all three of the divisions, really the right fights have mostly been made yeah. and they've, it, it, it's been a situation where no matter the result, mm-hmm. there's a positive outcome. Yeah. And oh. that's just so crucial. And we're not seeing it on, on the men's side of things. I wa- uh, yeah, it's, it's very true. It's very true. And I, like all of the fights you mentioned there are, there's, there's something, you know, there's something to them. And that, I was just thinking, as you said it, you know, with Carla Sparza and Ian Jedrick, I, w- I wonder what they make that rematch. I wonder what that one make. Like, Ian Jedrick has the win over her, but Carla Sparza is right there. Now for Sparza, it's a tough fight for her <laughs> to take, which she already deserves it. But like, it, yep. it, it look, what I said there, correct. But also, what a fight for her to win if she did win it. You know, right. it would be the ultimate redemption. You know, the, this story I I told, you know, five minutes ago about her coming from where she was to where she is now. This would cap it off almost more than the title shot nearly because yeah. of the way she got dragged to pieces by Yuani and Jacek the first time they fought as if, you know, she was just a, a temporary holder of the belt. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. Well, and it, I, it's a, it I, would be a good fight. It would yeah. be the right fight for for Joanna as well, right? Yeah, like a winnable fight for, for Joanna. Let's for be as gr- for for as great as she was out of the gate to get to fourteen and zero and defend the title and all of those things, she's two and five, in yeah. her, or two and four in her last six fights. And yep, there've been some some close fights close in there, and and she thinks she won two of those close fights, um, but she she hasn't had that big win that she needs to really elevate her. And so if she comes out and again, dominates Carlos Barza, who we all agree should probably be getting the next title shot. And and she says, well, this is the next best option for me. So let me go out here and prove I am still very much in this mix. It's a great look for both of them. I don't know if, I don't know if Carla takes it. I think she posted some stuff about like, I'm happy to just hang out and, and wait and fight the winner, which is probably the the correct business decision. But if if they're looking to book something else, that would be a, a hell of a fight on both sides. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's get to the last two divisions here. I'm, Bantamweight, I'm looking through the Bantamweight rankings and, and Zane's list as well. And look, to me, Bantamweight, one of the top three divisions in the UFC in terms of talent, but it's also such like a hodgepodge of old... Uh, you know, <laughs> featherweight fighters, like new up and comers, then like uh, ex bantamweight <laughs> champions. It's weird. It's just the weirdest it's so division weird. in the UFC. Uh, first of all, okay, we we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that first. Then we we'll talk about the title shot. It's with that sort of thing. You know, sometimes we we look at a division and say even say like lightweight, right? We all agree. Poirier has the wins, big wins over the like you know two wins in a row over Conor McGregor. Um. 
very good record. He deserves the title shot. Benil Dariush, you could argue, no, he's won, what, five or six in a row, whatever it might be, right there. If if Gaethje beats Chandler, right there. In bantamweight, because of everything I just said there, with ex-champions, people coming down from weight classes, everyone beating each other all the time, it's very hard to know. And, I, like, we, we give a lot of shit to the ranking crew uh, for, for the, the UFC. <laughs> uh, but this one, you'd have a bit of sympathy for him. You don't know where to put anyone. Like, I was calling for Jose Aldo versus Dominic Cruz after the last one. I think a lot of people were. But Aldo's ranked five places ahead of him at the moment uh, in those rankings. So I don't know, does that make, like, too much sense either? But, um... I don't know what like what do you think okay we have Sterling versus Yang coming up hopefully what do you think like the rest <laughs> of the division what happens with it TJ Dillashaw seems to be injured Sandhagen just last Font is kind of number four in that division and a guy you probably wouldn't even think of straight away when you think of the division but you absolutely should because he's a very good fighter but I don't I don't really have a question for you here just what you think about the division well it's just such a it's just in such a weird spot because I think to me to me there's a few guys in here that are kind of mirages that are a little bit of fool's gold right and and I say that with the utmost respect for Jose Aldo, for Frankie Edgar, for Dominic Cruz, who are going to constantly be put forward into these 100%. bigger opportunities and looked at as, oh, well, this guy's close. I don't think Jose Aldo is, is close to a championship fight. I don't, I don't want to see him in a championship fight again. I oh, saw yeah, him agree. fight. I, I saw him fight Piotr Jan, and it was competitive and fun and entertaining early and it got more and more sad as a longtime Jose Aldo fan the longer it went on Frankie Edgar God bless him it is insane that he has been as competitive as he has been in three different weight classes for as long as it has been but it's time to start fighting some of the not senior circuit but it's time for him to be the guy that fights Marlon Vera or fights. Time for him to retire. Huff. Let's be honest. Like, well, there's probably that too. Um, people love seeing Frank so, Edgar taking damage. I, that's what uh, I, like I, I, people always call me a Frank Edgar hater because I'm calling for him to retire and things. I I love Frank Edgar. I think he's a very good fighter. Yeah. And I, I I hate when he got knocked out in that fight there. But was it Sandhagen? Sandhagen fight. Yeah. I, I said it before that fight, but maybe not directly before the fight. But I was like. He's fighting faster fighters here who still hit pretty fucking hard, and he's taking yeah. a lot of damage. Like, they've always put up the stat, Frank Edgar has more fight time than any other fighter right. in UFC history. You don't <laughs> right. fight for fucking free. You do not fight for free. And, right. Oh, like, it's one of well, these ones that actually drives me mad. I would love someone, like, if it's any other sport, Frank Edgar would not still be doing it, like, because you just correct. know it's going to get worse. Still a great fighter, great guy. As you said there, how is he still competitive at this age? Uh, with all this damage uh, on him and everything, and 100% agree. Why, tr- tr- you know, why take that chance? Just, I don't. Well, know. and how di- how differently are we talking about him if he lands on the opposite side of that split decision against Pedro Munoz, which was a close fight? I scored it for Munoz, but but whatever, right? But if if that's a loss and it's four in a row, or even even that one, it it becomes three in a row, where you go, okay, like maybe like Frankie Edgar's going to be 40 in in a month. Like, I know that heavyweights can hang on a little bit longer, but bantamweights can't, and there's there's limited opportunities. And so I think that's part of the struggle with this division is that there's so many guys that are just kind of 
holding on that we're not quite sure of. Like, I don't know what to make of Marlon Marais anymore. And I think the fight with Marab Valashvili will be an interesting one that tells us, gives us a little bit of that answer. I think it's an interesting like, one because uh, yeah. I think it's a good matchup for Marais, to be honest. Uh, yeah. not, that, not to say Abs- that he'll win. Absolutely. But like, I think his chin is the big issue. And like, Dashvili, he can hit hard and everything, but he is, you know, this wrestler who suplexed you around the place. But, right. you know, if Marais can get a bit of time on the feet and, and, you know, get a few shots off, it might be the worst matchup in the world for him. But yeah. For sure. But but it's the same thing for me with Dominic Cruz too, right? Like, yeah. he goes out and, and he gets a a solid win. It's a good win. Like, he absolutely deserved that win against Casey Kenny. But it doesn't prove anything to me. It doesn't make me think that, you know, he should be fighting these top five fighters anymore, like that that he should get a matchup with Rob Font, who I think is, as you said, the kind of forgotten guy in this division. And I remember saying it, I think it was after one of the Jose Aldo. I think it was after Jose Aldo beat um, Chido Vera earlier this year. And there were just a bunch of people that jumped online and see, he's not done. He's still got it. He's still a contender. And I thought to myself, like, and I think I voiced it on Twitter, which I shouldn't ever do, but it's like, we need to come up with with more words and more ways of describing these people than he still got it and, and he's a contender. Yeah. Because like beating Cheeto Vera is a good win. But let's be let's be clear. Cheeto Vera lost that fight more than than Jose Aldo won that fight. And beating Cheeto Vera is a good win, but it doesn't tell me that Jose Aldo is ready to fight the Corey Sandhagens of the world. It just tells me that he can beat the Cheeto Veras of the world, which is great, yeah. but that's about where a lot of these guys should probably be, mm-hmm. and we should be working to figure that out. And I think the trouble for the UFC as they continue to be long-winded is that so many of these guys, like Aldo, like Edgar, are such big names that people are still stuck to that they draw eyeballs, that they can headline these fight night shows where the Marab Dvalishvili's can't, the Rob Fonts can't, which is super unfortunate because those are the people that actually should be getting those opportunities and getting that shine and being moved moved forward. We're sort of at that point in a lot of these divisions where people are just stuck in the past and, and holding on to the past or the three or four fighters that they really like and refusing to move forward with some of these others. And it creates just these these terrible situations where how do you get a guy like Rob Font ahead? Because he's done everything he yeah. needs to do. Like he looked great against Cody Garbrandt and he looked great in his fight before that against Marlon Marais. What more does this dude need to need to do in order to get a, a like big time opportunity when people are out here, you know, Screaming and arguing that, that Jose Aldo deserves yet another big shot. I think, like, after that last Aldo fight, I went on the podcast and said the exact same thing as you said there. It's weird, though, with Aldo, right? Because it feels like, okay, he lost the end fight, and then, you know, you go down a level when you lose a title fight like that. But it feels like he's climbing again a little bit, right? And, like, yeah. I don't think he can climb to a title shot. I don't want him to even even to climb to a title shot. I would rather yeah. him have, like, that Cruz fight. I would like that fight, or, yeah. you know, whoever else it might be, or even a Garbrandt fight, I think it'd be fun, or, you know, something like that. Um, but I feel like the difference between Jose Aldo is, right, So, so and, I, and I forgive people a little bit for seeing how far he can go. Now, maybe we shouldn't do that, but I feel like Jose Aldo, for his whole career, or, or the latter part of his career, post-McGregor, I suppose, has had knockbacks, but always come back 
And like he, he got knocked out in 13 seconds by Conor McGregor and absolutely put on a clinic against Frank Yeager in the very next <laughs> right. fight over five rounds. Lost to Max Holloway. Came back and got a bantamweight title shot. Okay, maybe he didn't deserve it, but it has been competitive. I feel like the difference between him and someone say like a Frank Yeager is with Aldo is how far can he rise? With Edgar is like how far can he fall? And that's... Right. When you get to that position... Uh, fans of Frank Yerger will probably hear me saying this and give out to me but it's like the fans of him should be saying this you shouldn't want your guy taking this much fucking right. damage I, like, that's a right. sad sad thing to me but anyway we could talk about this for fucking four hours but yeah it's, <laughs> it's a fun division anyway but uh, there's, there's a lot let's finish it off with the flyweight division uh, like uh, f- I talked about fun divisions I feel like the flyweight division at the moment Apart from maybe maybe the the champ, um, Brandon Moreno doesn't really have that standout star, but it has lots of like fun guys in it and fun fights throughout it. Um, you know, even like a, someone like a man El Cape who came in and he lost a couple of fights, but in and he missed weight and but he uh, he won his last one and um, yeah, you know Askar Askarov kind of on a roll took a took a was it a draw in his last fight or something? Or did, 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 yeah, I think he did a draw, didn't he? I love a bit of Tyson Nam and Kai Kara France is a very fun fighter and look, it looks it, Cody Garbrandt is actually coming down to fight Kai Kara France now, is he? That's yes. that, could be, that could be fun as well. Pantoja, uh, Pantoja Moreno, that's happening in two six nine. I hadn't seen that. Sorry, I thought uh, I didn't know what was going yep. on there. that's the same as here and that's a fun fight you know as well uh they you can correct my my memory terrible they fought before haven't they did pantoja beat moreno or am i gone mad pantoja pantoja beat him in tough the ultimate okay. fighter yes and then beat him again in moreno's oh. last fight before he got released and oh, so that's a bit that's interesting i spoke to, to pantoja before his last fight and, and and asked him about it said like you know you you've got two wins over the guy that's at the top of the division right now. He was full of praise for what Brandon Moreno has done since then and said, like, I feel like I helped this kid get better at every step. Like, I provided these these roadblocks for him, and he went out and improved. So I beat him in the show. He goes right into the UFC and wins a bunch of fights. Then he ends up fighting me in the UFC. I beat him. He gets released. He goes out. He wins. He comes back. And look at where he is now. And then he won that fight and he just kind of like politely turned around. Brendan Moreno was, was on the call for the, for the Spanish announced team. And he was like, I'd love to fight you again. If you're interested, how's December sound for you? And Moreno was just like, yep, cool. Let's do it. I think that's a terrific fight. I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Like that, the division, the thing about the flyweight division as well is it's one of those divisions I mentioned, like whichever one I said earlier, it's one where you can emerge, you know, you can emerge as the next, like Askarov absolutely could emerge. Even someone like, I have great time for a match now and I don't know, he loses fights. I think he's a very, very good fighter or a sumo Dejari. I think he's good. He's one who could emerge, but there's, there is scope to emerge, you know, two or three fights in a row and you're right there. And look, Moreno's a good fighter, but he's beatable too. And you could, you know, you have a a chance at a title shot. So, uh, yeah. It feels similar to me to what we were talking about with light heavyweight where true yeah kind kind of one through 15 maybe not all the way anybody can beat anybody but they're close competitive fights they're entertaining fights i want to see them like i want to see david dvorak get an opportunity against somebody ahead of him in the rankings i want to see cody garbrandt i'm so glad that cody garbrandt didn't get the opportunity to come down and just fight for the title right away that would have been absolute chaos completely unjustifiable at, at this point of where he's at. And Kai Kara France feels like the right guy as that prove yourself fight. 
because Kai's had, as you said, a couple of those wins, a couple of those losses. Dangerous get him guy in the, Zeta, and yeah. dangerous guy. Like if you know, we the the fight with Bontarine is is the perfect distillation of who Kai <laughs> Kara France really is, is as a fighter. There'll be four minutes where you're like, God, he still doesn't have any jujitsu skills, and his grappling is still. You know, it's the defense was the defense was good yeah. and he, he got his way out of it, but it was Boom. like, man, <laughs> just get taken to and then it's one shot and yeah. face plant. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's it's another one of those divisions that as we've said, is is there's opportunities. And whether you agree with Matias Nicolau beating Manel Cape, he's an intriguing guy. Manel's an an intriguing guy. You've got sort of and and there's still that group again, kind of outside of the rankings that are interesting and become guys that you still want to see and, and prove as kind of guys that, that test some of these, these other guys, like you've got the young crop that has come off the contender series, like the Jeff Molinas who looked good in his first win. You've got a guy like Tegir Ulambakov, who's got one fight in the UFC, but has looked phenomenal overall in his career. You've got the Amir Albazis out there. Um, and then there was a kid just this week on Contender Series, CJ Vargara, who trains under UFC vet Pete Spratt and looked phenomenal. Like, I'm ready to see this dude get an opportunity. And and as you said, you string together two or three good performances and you're knocking at the door of that top 15. You're fighting the Tyson Nams and the Sumadarjis and, and guys like that. And then you beat the, them and you're in the mix. And so there may not be that top end superstar class where where there's great big household names but it's just a whole whack of really good talent yeah and and again a lot of people that are booked to fight like Mm -hmm. these these divisions where people are are taking fights it it makes it so much more interesting yeah 100 percent it's always been a fun division, and I've I've never trying to get yeah. rid of it. I, yeah. I absolutely hated it, but I love I love a bit of flyweight. Um, right, last thing I want to ask you, I was going to ask you earlier, on, but the, I, you're you're probably actually the probably the worst person to ask because <laughs> you <laughs> you uh, always look at the the competitors coming through. You know, I'm fucking five or six of just there in the flyweight division alone, and the new people coming in. And actually, you made me thought I probably need to start watching the Dana White Contender Series because it's on at like I don't know one a.m. here on a Tuesday. It's like yeah, I just can't. That's that's like, tough. It's just so tough. Like especially when I'm up to, till fucking seven on Saturday. And in pro- to uh, to be clear, mm-hmm. I watch it because I'm doing the recaps for UFC.com. Yeah, but it's not have... necessarily bad either. It's just no, I they're, just can't. they're entertaining. It's a nice it's a nice way to spend. So <laughs> when the show started, it was a lot easier. My wife used to work shift work, so she would be working on a Tuesday night, and it was most Tuesday nights. It was perfect to sit down five o'clock here on the West Coast. Watch, so watch fights for a couple hours, <laughs> watch fights for a couple hours, make a little bit of money, learn about these people that are coming into the UFC, get an early jump on, on this new crew. She has subsequently switched jobs at the start of this year and now works from like eight till four. So she gets home on Tuesday and is like, really, you're going to spend the <laughs> next <shit> again. <laughs> three hours in the office and I have to walk the dog by myself <laughs> and get dinner ready and bring it into you. And you're like, Sweet. so, so it, might be, it might be the last year that I do the contender series so that I can ma- maintain a healthy and happy marriage. But me and Laura Sanko are the only two that have been been here for every single one of them. No, that's, oh God, <laughs> oh God, I just can't, I just can't. But anyway, my question, the, the UK and Irish guys coming in, 
like say we've Ian Gary signed to, to for his first fight this week. Paddy Pimblett just made his debut. Jack Shore. I, I suppose you, we can even leave out Aaron Allen out of it because he's a contender now, bona fide contender. What? It feels like right from my point of view, and I, I want to ask you from your point of view because you're at, obviously the other side of the world. But I feel like those lads. The, the prospects at this side of the world get more of a shine than the ones in America. And now maybe, and I, that's why I'm asking you the question, maybe it's that's because I'm on this side of the world and I'm maybe the one giving them the shine a lot of the times <laughs> as well. But it, it just feels like they're even like, watching Ariel's show yesterday where he had, you know, Gary on, where he had Shore, where he had Pimblet. You would never, ever see four to five American prospects like that in a show. Almost ever. And I wonder... <sighs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because it's easier for characters to emerge. Maybe it's because it's Cage Warriors and they do such a phenomenal job. But I don't know what it is. But do you see that? Like, do you feel like those guys kind of stand out a little bit more? And, and do you, like, for me, if someone comes up through an LFA or an RFA or whatever they're called over in America or, or Canada, yep. these days, I don't see them at all. I never see Like, I, I remember Sharky Torres was one who I kind of yep. heard about before he came and I had a look at a few of his fights. And it happens the odd time, you know? But not as like we two of them fighting at the weekend on on uh, on the UFC card from Cage Warriors. I I don't know. Well, what's your like? Have you kind of noticed that? And do you kind of see those guys maybe as much as uh, more than I would from the other side of the the Atlantic? So I was super excited that Jack Shore finally is starting to get his his due and his shine. Yeah, because he's been he's been a kid from as soon as he got to the UFC. I've been standing over here waving my arms furiously, being like. He's a cage warriors champion. He is undefeated. He has never, he, every time he's walked out to a cage, he has walked out with his hand raised and we need to pay more attention. 27 I, and all. Like, I think he is world champion material. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's just a matter of time. And, and he's 26, like amazing. But I think what you said about personality and some of it, and, and look, you, you deserve a ton of credit. Severe deserves a ton of credit the way you guys have come out and put a light on a lot of these prospects early and cage warriors, as you said, deserves a ton of credit for properly identifying these people and giving them an opportunity to shine. I think that translates, I think regardless of, of where these prospects are and where these emerging talents are, when the biggest voices in our sport kind of, give them their endorsement and give them their their seal of approval that raises their profile so for you guys to be out early on patty pym i mean you guys were out early on conor mcgregor we all know how that turned out for everybody um patty pimblet got that early endorsement from your yourselves and cage warriors and, and the uk media and that translates we see that because the people on this side of the pond are paying attention to you guys because you are the 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 wisest voices, the most knowledgeable voices over there in terms of those markets, the same way that we should be in North America. And it just doesn't happen because so much of the North American media is fixated on just the biggest stars. There isn't that same coverage of prospects the way you guys have done it over there because the UFC isn't based there. You don't have UFC events in your backyard every day it's not it's not the dominant thing those shows like cage wars like bama when it was still running and then throughout europe with ksw and things like that are the shows that provide are 
that your audience wants to hear about as much as, if not more, than the UFC. And so when when you guys endorse these these athletes, that translates to the biggest names in North, the biggest media outlets and the biggest media voices in North America paying attention. And then once they start paying attention and they start saying something about it, then more people pay attention, right? Like as soon as Ariel gets somebody at like, you guys were out on Conor McGregor ahead of everybody else. Then Ariel gets him on the show and he does the interview where he's eating blueberries and it's a grainy video and he's in some crap apartment and he's still on the dole and all of those things. And it becomes the moment that everybody goes, I guess I need to pay attention to this guy. And that's where it takes off. So it's been the same with Patty. It is now going to be the same with Ian Gary. Hopefully it's going to be the same with Jack Shore. And so for me, I've long said that it's, it's about the right people giving them attention. It's about people talking about them before they become stars. And it, it takes, and, and I think you guys deserve a ton of credit for that of being out and in front of and, and championing these athletes from the UK, from the European scene before any of us are really paying attention. Yeah. And it's like, thank you very much. I appreciate those kind words, but like, it's funny because you, you mentioned, you know, Ian Gary. I, I interviewed Ian Gary before his pro debut, you know, and had him on the podcast. Yeah, like, that's a pretty mm-hmm. big platform to give someone who's never fought, you know? And, uh, and that doesn't happen over here no, nearly. But, and and that's not to say that there aren't people oh, absolutely, who yeah. are doing it. And shout out to all the people that are doing, mm-hmm. you know, talking to regional fighters. We all know, you know, the James Lynch's, absolutely. the JHK's, the yeah. so many other people. And I, I'm not intentionally leaving people out. I'm just at a loss for, I don't want to start rattling off 57 names, but those things matter. And so when you on a big platform, talk to Ian Gary before his pro debut, that makes everybody that pays attention to your site, everybody in your audience go, these people that I respect, whose opinions I value, that I think are great, are paying attention to this guy. I should pay attention and, to this guy. Do you know the funny and thing? And that is, needs to happen more over here. The funny and uh, as well, uh, I was I was going to say last. Graham was actually at Conor McGregor's apartment when he did that interview with Ariel. So that's a funny <laughs> one. But uh, our audience in the last two to three years, w- more people from the US listen to the podcast than any other country. So it's not that just like the Irish people want to see, it, but the, the American people want to hear about like the Irish coming through and, and the European fighters coming through. And even then, you know, we, we started a podcast recently on Patreon, the, the Chasing Pack. And, um, you know, myself and Ian talk about all the all the, the fights from outside of the UFC, everywhere outside of the UFC. We also have like, we've had him on three times now, Sean Dinney, who is a Polish MMA expert. He knows everything. I think his, his, uh, his um, housebed is, is Polish and he kind of, you know, started watching the fights and got into it and now he's an expert and knows every Polish fighter and the amount of talent over there that I've never heard of you know and that he talks about it's it's wild and I feel like we need more people doing that and like there should probably be someone in Florida right now who I, is doing what I fucking do and what the, the lads <laughs> and Andy and Ian do the, yeah. and, and all the lads and Quilshaw and all the lads on our website too running like the amount of the gyms over there and the amount of people coming through like they, they should be taking Ian Gary off us now and, and doing it that way you know but um, I, yeah. I honestly think that there there are people that follow this sport and have followed this sport for a long time that are growing tired of of the way media coverage of it in North America and on 
the biggest out. And I'm going to get in shit for saying this stuff. Somebody's going to hear it and be like, look, he's talking ill of you people again. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's stopped being about telling the stories of these athletes and telling people who they need to pay attention to and being out ahead of it and just talking where super reactionary as opposed to being proactive on athletes we are fixated on the gossip and drama of things of who said what to whom on social media and who posted what on ig and a handful of names that that draw that draw traffic and look we all have traffic goals that we want to hit and we all have bosses above us or most people have bosses above them that dictate, hey, you need to write more stories about these five people because it generates traffic. But we've just done it at, at while sacrificing so much of this other stuff. And, and to tie it back to a guy we, we spoke of earlier, it is criminal to me that Leon Edwards' rise wasn't documented better, wasn't covered more fully, wasn't covered with the same zeal that we paid to goddamn Sean O'Malley coming off the contender series. And I think Sean is a hell of a fighter. I think he has a world of potential, but we gave more attention to him coming off the contender series and beating Andre Sukumtath and Tarion Ware than we did Corey Sandhagen for surviving that hellish armbar against Yuri Alcantara and knocking him out in the second round. And he's a guy that had 40 fights. It's 42 to... And so that's the problem to me, and that's where these guys get lost in the shuffle until the biggest voices and the cool kids tap them on the shoulder, and then everybody goes... I need to pay attention to this person. It's, it's, so, and some people, like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but some people as well, they just, say like a Darren Till, right? Darren Till isn't as big a star in the UK as Paddy Pimpton is, <laughs> you know? And it's because he was in Brazil and he wasn't, didn't come up through the Cage Warriors route and he didn't fill out the Echo Arena over in, over in Liverpool. And like, <clears throat> he just, and maybe he is now because, you know, he's fighting title shots and everything like that. But for the last few years, like, if Paddy gets to a level, which, you know, I'm sceptical about enough, but we, that's a discussion for another day, he right. would be a million times bigger than Darren Till. And Leon Edwards, like, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't go through the kind of the the route that, uh, say like Fa- Fabian Edwards. It's funny because right. Fabian Edwards had Leon before him, so he's like, "Oh, this guy's brother." And I remember Graham went over to I think it was Liverpool or Birmingham or somewhere to an amateur fight of Fabian Edwards because he knew this guy is going to be good. And he went over right. and he, he watched that fight. And, or, yeah, yeah. Something like that. But he, Graham like, has been talking about him. He was 10-0 as an amateur or whatever. And you know he's had a few setbacks, but I still think he's could be one of the, the best he's one of the best prospects in the world still. But it's, it's sometimes people just don't stick out. And sometimes you're not expecting people to come through and not do it the way they do it. But like, yeah, it's... Uh, I suppose this is a... Well, well, well and, and, yeah. and you mentioned Darren Till there, right? That he's not... He's not as big a star at home mm-hmm. as Patty is, but he's a, a much bigger star here because he talks shit and he gets on Ariel's show and he calls, so far, anyway. he, calls <laughs> he calls people out and he mm. says a bunch of stuff and he got a huge push, right? Like yeah. there, that's part of it too. The UFC was, was looking for somebody to fill that Michael Bisping void and went, all right, this, this has to be the guy. He's, he's the guy we've got. He's coming off this win over, over cowboy 
let's let's just run them through. Let's just push them as as far as we can. And and that led to everybody giving him those opportunities and him becoming a guy in the North American market that the that the biggest sites and the and the loudest voices were talking about all the time. And so that's how it happens over here. And it, it needs to be more of what you guys are doing over there of, of getting guys on the come up and, and chronicling sort of the whole way along. And again, there are people doing it over here and there are sites and there are places that you can get that, but they do not ever get anywhere near the shine or the attention or the credit for doing it Yeah, because it seems like so many people are just waiting around until a handful of sites, a handful of journalists, a handful of outlets say, these are the people you need to pay attention to. And that's unfortunate. And to, to be fair as well, though, we we had Conor McGregor, you know, and we, we don't, don't get it twisted. We were very lucky to have Conor McGregor oh, to, to not a hundred percent. And but we what we had was. And I'm. Uh, we had severe MMA, which I wasn't a part of yet. Just about when when Conor McGregor came, but I was doing like the UFC and more things like that. But the likes of of Graham, the likes of Andrew um, McGann were were covering these local fighters and were ready for this like to come. And then right. you know, by that time, I had like a few thousand followers or whatever. And Ariel knew me, and I used to be on the show the odd time and stuff. And like when someone wanted a voice. They rang me or they rang Graham or they rang Andrew or Niall or whoever it might be and got them on their show and, you know, suddenly, like I, I remember at one stage, I, I did, uh, I was doing radios all over the world and Australia, I remember a friend of mine, <laughs> it's funny, uh, who is from Australia but moved to Ireland, moved back to Australia and he was like, what the fuck are you doing on the radio on my local like <laughs> Canberra radio station or something one day? It was mad there for a while and I suppose, you know, that that moved our profile up a little bit then you know a lot of us stuck to it and then we now have this platform which we can give these fighters that doesn't happen for everyone and that's you know very lucky for me and and very lucky for the Irish fighters as well I'm not you know picking myself up here but it's lucky for the Irish fighters to have people in Irish MMA like Severe MMA and others as well so that and that to me is what feels like it's missing here in in, in in the largest media outlets covering this sport in North America is those. And like, look, PT and Niall were doing the bash at, and the Euro bash at, at MMA fighting and, and trying to give that shine. And I know that it had reach and I know that people followed it and I know that people paid attention, but it didn't get nearly the traction that it should. Right. And, and that's Things, just yeah. because the problem with the, they, they, that always disappears. Like that's, that's right. the issue. Like that, it, that's it has the to stuff be that always goes because it mm. doesn't generate the traffic that, that is dictating what we talk about. And I mean, we could go on for, for days and days about media and traffic and what sells and what doesn't, it's unfortunate. Right. And it's, yeah. it's so, it, I, I mean it entirely and it's not because we're friends and you've had me on and I love doing this what you guys have done and continue to do is invaluable to this industry Uh, and to these athletes. And I know that they all appreciate it as well. So thank you and, and keep at it. I appreciate it very much. A good, uh, good transition. Patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. <laughs> if you want to continue, for, it's the fighters. It's really the fighters you're signing up yeah. for, not us. You know, you're helping them. You're not helping. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate everyone. Spencer, I've said an hour and we're fucking two hours in. <laughs> that's, 
perfectly fine. I'm so if you sorry. wanted to, go, if you wanted to, <sighs> do not apologize. Anytime you reach out, it is the highlight of my day. I tweeted before I came on that, you know, some days this job sucks, and then sometimes you have a 24-hour stretch where you knock out two uh, interviews with people that you love to talk to. It's brilliant. And then you get to tape a, a tremendous podcast with somebody you have immense respect for. And that's the day. And it's great. And you got to embrace both. 100%. This has been a wonderful. I enjoyed it so much. Of a good day yesterday. We, we need to do this more regularly. I love it. I think we Listen. Like, someone needs to pay the two of us to do a podcast like a weekly. I, I would love as that. As often as you want to do it, I am here. As I, as I tell anybody. Beautiful. You call, I will answer. Beautiful. Tell the people where to find you. Tell the Substack everything they can sign up for Twitter, everything where they can find all your stuff before we go. Everything comes through the Twitter at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E, um, spencerkite.substack.com, the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. I have not written anything since the weekend. I took Saturday to go golfing and not watch fights, and I haven't written anything since because I had some Darren Till thoughts that I needed to not share so that people didn't get mad at me. <laughs> Probably wise decision. Uh, <laughs> probably a wise decision so I'll, I'll get back after it probably later today or tomorrow maybe take the whole weekend off and just restart next next week but there ufc.com with a terrific crew profile and all of these athletes and, and fights before the events uh, and then doing some some additional stuff at a site called osdbsports.com um, writing about various other things that aren't mma which is which is actually a lot of fun and pretty refreshing so that's Beautiful. that's where to find me lovely Spencer thank you very much this one is for all the people that say they want longer podcasts now you got it <laughs> so, thanks everyone for listening uh, thanks Spencer again and we'll see you all next time good luck <laughs>